Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper moment we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's from Galatians 6.9, and it's the personal verse of one of our guests today, Dr. Ron Gellis from the PTSD Foundation. Dr. Gellis and Alex Yutzi joined me to talk about the incredible work they're both doing through the PTSD Foundation's Camp Hope, an intensive program for our nation's warriors who are battling trauma and post-traumatic stress. I'm Brian Jodis, and this is Pick Up the Six Podcast. Brian Jodis back once again for another episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. Listeners, just thankful for you for constantly being with us as we release these incredible stories. And uh, I always have one favor to ask. If you don't mind, uh, whatever podcast app you're listening on, please like us, review the show, share it with your friends. I promise you it helps us spread this message of service, purpose, and impact. And we can't do it without you. So I'm just grateful for you on that. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media accounts as well. But if you can, write us a review, uh, put a little like button, subscribe on whatever app you're listening on, and only help us share this message across this great world of ours and help us share incredible stories and have conversations with folks like we have today. We've got Alex Yutzi on the show and Dr. Ron Gellis joins me as well. So gentlemen, uh, just to thank you, we're going to talk about all the incredible work you do at the PTSD Foundation, what you're doing through Camp Hope. But guys, just first and foremost, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. You both have uh, unique uh, and some parallels is having both served in the military, unique stories. So, Doc, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're a Vietnam veteran, did a lot of incredible work uh, throughout the course of your career. But why don't you just introduce yourself to us a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, I am a Vietnam era veteran. I came in as a psychologist uh, when action was done in Vietnam, but the silent wounds of war, I came in as a psychologist uh, and discovered before PTSD was a formal diagnosis. So I was with the uh, Naval Alcohol Rehab, Naval Drug and Alcohol Rehab, and all sorts of various um, you know, medical mental health facilities where you know, we were discovering the relationship between addiction and, mm -hmm. and trauma. So, um, you know, that was a lot of years ago, and I've only continued the work that I do as a psychologist dealing with trauma and, uh, and addiction. Mm -hmm. And uh, father of a retired Navy sailor, said that's redundant, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's a little me. You know, we've come a long way, right, since late 60s, early 70s, and yes, obviously the approach to mental health and just everything we know and, and, and the science behind it. But in those early days, right, I mean, that's a that's a pretty critical time, I would think, in the psychology it, it, field with what those men were carrying with them. It, you know, it, it was really groundbreaking because we did not know, it was not known, the relationship between substance use mm. and trauma. And um, we really started to kind of stitch together the fact that those two things were hand in hand, very typically. And uh, once people sobered it up, you know, and they got to tell their story about their battles, if you will, and their, their combat, that it they started to heal. Mm. And, um, and And that really has been a theme that's really not just carried in from that time as a what was called dual diagnosis, meaning that you know, substance abuse 
plus one to now we have co-occurring where we've come to understand that there can be many diagnoses at play all at once. It could be major depression, PTSD, plus substance use disorder. So we've really come a long way. Yeah. Alex, we're going to get to you in a second, but I, I kind of want to lean in here because I'm just a little fascinated about sort of that approach and that timeline. And, and this is outsider's perspective looking in, but I also sat around the table with my grandfather who served in World War II and, and with open, diligent ears, wanted to listen to stories. And he was willing to share stories with us, not every grim detail, but share a lot with us. I wonder if there's, and those guys were also sort of strong, right? Patriarchal types, came back from World War II, built the country, greatest generation. There is unfortunately, and unjustfully so, there was a different view of these men when they came home in the late 60s. And it's why we've tried to lean in so much and say, welcome home every chance we get, because it just was a different feel, right? Well, first of all, far and away, the greatest trauma of a Vietnam veteran was the way they were treated yeah. and welcomed home or so poorly. Um, what a disgusting reception that was extended. And really, uh, you know, it, it, far and away, no matter what took place on, in combat, the more painful was the utter rejection by their country, our country. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's something that even to this day, Vietnam vets have not adequately really worked through and even addressed that the pain of that reception. And uh, Vietnam vets represent the highest number of suicides of the, the 22 or whatever number, you know, they're going to mm -hmm. go with today. And yet, you know, just to use Camp Hope as a, sort of like a little sample, you know, right now out of about 85 or so, you know, residents that we have, we have one Vietnam vet. And so, you know, where are the rest? You know, they're hiding out, they're isolated, and, and they're still behind enemy lines, in, mm -hmm. mentally, at least in some measure. It's why, I, I, you know, as one man, right, I try to do what we can to do. And this is a personal thing. Like, I just, I always kind of try to go out of my way to talk to those guys. Yes. Right? Or, or buy them a beer, right? Or some, just something. Um, and you might think it's silly, like just saying to an older gentleman, if you see one, right, just welcome home, like welcome home. Never got that. That's right. Just ask us like, guys, just look for opportunities. I think it probably goes a long way. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, it's a absolutely. And and to just go back into World War II, uh, where we didn't even, we were even further behind in processing the traumas of war, if you will. Mm -hmm. And a perfect mm -hmm. example for me is my dad. I didn't know he had a brother till I was about 32. My aunt, his sister had mentioned uh, something about my uncle. I said, what uncle? What are you talking about? And she mentioned that, well, you know, you, your dad and I had a brother. He was killed in Southeast Asia. He was 22. I mentioned it to my dad. And he got angry at me and he said, who told you? Like I did something wrong. I said, yeah. well, you know, Aunt Teresa, uh, he said, well, don't bring it up and don't talk about it. That was his reaction to the loss of his brother. Decades later, I'm 74 now. So that was like, you know, that's how a lot of the World War II uh, 
veterans dealt with World War II and true for, for Korea. Hmm. Gold Star family. Thank you, sir. Uh, for sure. You know, when you think about that. All right, Alex, let's get you in here. And uh, thanks for the patience. I just, I wanted to lean in a little bit because I think there's just some, and we'll talk more about it as we go, but just off the top, it's just things that sort of come to me. So Alex Yetzi, why don't you introduce yourself to us, please? So my name is Alex Yetzi. Um, I grew up in the panhandle of Florida. Um, I joined the army at 18 um, in 2002. Um, the initial push to Iraq happened shortly after I got to my unit. So I was actually in the invasion of Iraq in 2003. Um, I stayed in the same unit. I was I was 11 Bravo uh, Airborne Infantryman, and uh, my duty station was the 173rd in Vicenza, Italy. So we were really one of the first to get ramped up to mm -hmm. go to Iraq, um, and you know came back from Iraq in 2004. Um, I went to Afghanistan in 2005. So I did two deployments. I got out in 2008. Um, you know, and didn't really know what was going on with me, um, knew that I was different, um, but couldn't really put my finger on it. And, uh, you know, the, the military does real good about teaching you how to box it up and uh, move on. So that's what I did for about 10 years. Um, and, you know, 2018, I've been lucky to be married to the same woman for 16 years. Um, I actually met her in Italy. And uh, we got married in 2006. She's um, Italian? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's, yeah, we, we've been married for 16 years. Um, and she kept trying to get me to get help um, mm. because obviously substance abuse was huge. That was a coping mechanism of mine, um, you know, but I didn't want help. I didn't think that I needed help, you know, I mean my life was quote unquote good in the sense that, um, you know, I had a business, I, I had a house, I still had my wife, I had all the things that the world kind of equates with success. And, you know, meanwhile, I was just slowly dying inside and, um, you know, I, I couldn't figure it out. So I actually came to Camp Hope in 2019 um, and uh, completed the program and was just called to give back. And, um, you know, I started at Camp Hope as a driver and uh, worked my way through the process. And now I'm the program manager here at Camp Hope. That's awesome, man. It's like my friend, John Fry, who is now the uh, race director for the Oakwood 24 and was part of Healing Transitions, which is a men's rehabilitation center in Raleigh. So very close to where I live. And, and uh, we've talked about that program before. And, and uh, he gives back a bunch because he was part of the, the program. You talk right. about being able to put it in the box, right? When you're in a combat zone, being, being able to compartmentalize your emotions and move on to the next obje objective are a tactical advantage for you. Absolutely. You have to be asked to do that. Absolutely. Why yeah. is that not sustainable once you're back home? It's not sustainable because there's, you know, those boxes eventually, you know, as good as compartmentalizing as you can possibly be, eventually those boxes get full. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, what I found was that in 2018, it actually really, really started to go downhill. And uh, it started in 2014. And uh, it's kind of crazy how it all kind of unwound. But, uh, you know, I've got a troubled relationship with my family as well. And a lot of it was due to my substance abuse and just due to the fact that they didn't 
understand what had changed in me. And uh, in 2014, when my grandmother passed away, I feel like that was kind of like that was not going to fit in a box. Right. So I just I didn't have any more space in any boxes. And my life really, really started to go downhill quickly from there. Um, but I still maintained um, up until 2019 when really that's when the wheels kind of fell off. But, you know, compartmentalization is, is great short term. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the thing that I learned in the military is that they're very good at turning. They're very, very good at teaching you how to turn that switch on. But they're not they don't give you any instructions on how to turn it off. So at Camp Hope, that's what I really think that we're doing on a daily basis is giving guys the instructions to turn that switch off. And, hey, you know what? You might have to compartmentalize something in the moment today to get through the day. But at the end of the day, if you're not unpacking that box, you're doing yourself a disservice. And eventually it's going to it's going to start to get full again. So. You know, that's really the way I look at it. I try, you know, before I go to bed every day, I try to, you know, process everything that's happened through the day just to keep these boxes empty. Alex, uh, we don't take it for granted what it takes to share those stories, right? To talk with vulnerability about it. And our audience really appreciates it. And I do too. So thanks for being willing to do it. Absolutely. Dr. Gellis, tell me a little bit about um, how this all came to be. You know, you look at what's been a, uh, a lot over the last 20 years. And a lot of young men and women that were asked to do uh, some pretty serious things on behalf of freedom here at home, but really in pursuit of protecting those abroad as well, because of what happened to us on that fateful Tuesday day, right? I mean, that becomes a big catalyst for all this. Um, So tell me just a little bit about the origins of, and we talk a lot about Camp Hope, how it came to be, where it fits with the PTSD Foundation. Would you mind just giving us a little history? Sure. You know, and, and I'll qualify it with, I've been here four and a half months, but uh, I may miss a, a sure. note or two. But really, it started with our executive director, Pastor David Malsby, who uh, walking the streets of Houston, uh, the home coming across the homeless veteran population and uh, realized that, um, you know, what do we or ask the question, what are we doing for these folks? And so through from his heart, uh, was the really the the launching of Camp Hope, and through the years, needless to say, uh, it's grown, and um, you know, from just a, a mustard seed, if you will, mm-hmm. to someone's heart. To uh, you know, right now, you know, we occupy five acres in Jer- uh, Jersey Village here in Houston, and uh, you know, we're we've got almost ninety residents here going to building out to 120 and we have, you know, veteran community care centers, you know, in Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, uh, San Antonio and, and Phoenix and, and with, with plans to basically be the largest provider of mental health care to veterans outside of the VA. And ultimately our goal is to replace the VA. Um, we can do it better. Yeah. Something to be said about uh, what can be done in in uh, in the private space, specifically with missionality driving what you do. I mean, you talked about that mustard seed. I look at what is part of what you guys do in a big part comes out of Galatians and says, let us not grow weary in doing good for at the proper oh. moment, 
We will reap a harvest if we do not give up, right? It's a that is, here going, you right? go. That's my, that's been my Bible verse for the last 11 years. Right there on our, he's, he's holding up a, a rubber wristband that must sit on his wrist every single day. So you're able to look back on and say, keep just that's keep right. going. You got to keep right. going. Absolutely. Keep plugging away. It's incredible. Alex, tell me about, just tell us about the program, right? You're involved heavily as a program manager. So paint the picture for us, right? What What's going on at, at, Camp, at Camp Hope? So it's a minimum six month program and uh, it's a, it's on the longer side of programs, but um, you know, there's a reason that it works the way that it does. Um, you know, our five acres here is set up very similar to a battalion HQ. Um, mm. So when guys get here, it's very familiar. Um, and basically when the guys get here, you know, they come from all walks of life. They come from all States of the United States. Um, you know, they may come with a family. They may come with no family and all of their bridges burnt. They may come with the clothes on their back. They may mm. still have some income. You know, they're, they're coming from all different sorts of situations. And, uh, you know, the commonality is that when they get here, they're amongst brothers, right? So even if you were, an, you know, Navy, Air Force, uh, you know, Army, Marines, it doesn't matter. We all serve. We all wore the uniform. We all fought. And, uh when they get here, so the first phase of the program is called Black Phase, and it's the first 30 days. And uh, so when they get here, they do their intake. We make them surrender. They surrender their phones, any electronic devices that they have. And for the first 30 days, they are, they don't have any co contact with the outside. Um, Why is that important in those first 30 days? It's super important because, you know, even if you're coming here with a good relationship with your family, your family has, you know, if you've been with them for any length of time, they've got secondary trauma related to just having you in their life. Right. So for that 30 days, we really want them to just acclimate to the program and forget kind of what they have going on on the outside as much as they can and just kind of focus on themselves and being where their feet are. And we say that all the time, like be where your feet are, because we, we're constantly looking for the next thing, right? Whatever that is. And, that's a great, uh, a lot gonna, of us, that's a great line, right? Cause you yeah. think about, you can very quickly end up mentally alone, absolutely. Away, right? Be, absolutely. Where be in this moment, be here, yep. be yep. now. It's a good line, right? Moms and dads, yeah. dads specifically, I'm looking at you when you're with your kids, if you're being distracted, right? Be where your feet are, man. Yeah, it's a good line. Absolutely. Yeah. So the first 30 days were really, you know, they can, they can communicate through letters. Um, you know, some of the guys come here with family still intact. Some of them have very toxic relationships mm -hmm. on the outside. So obviously we're trying to curb some of that as well. Um, but really, we just want them to acclimate to the program and get back to kind of the camaraderie that they had in the military, because you do see that here. Like that's that, this is one of the few places that I've seen outside of the military where on a daily basis you see that camaraderie. Mm -hmm. And uh, so. After the first 30 days, they go into red phase and red phase is the only phase of our program that is not time based, it's progress based. Okay. So <clears throat> in red phase, it's a minimum of three months. Um, you know, some of the, the younger guys do get through it in three months. Some of the Vietnam veteran guys that have, you know, have been boxing up and uh, sucking it up for 40 years, you know, those guys sometimes take 10 months to get through red phase. You know, it, it really just depends and it's at their own pace. So in red phase, you know, they're required to, they, they get a counselor, they get a trauma counselor. They start to work the uh, combat trauma healing manual, which is our guide in the program, which it's based after a 12 step model. Um, 
you know, most of the guys that come here, they have substance abuse issues. So the 12 step model is something that's it's tried and true. It works. So our combat mm -hmm. trauma heal and manual is modeled after a 12 step program that is basically it's based on the life of Christ. So um, it's very, very in depth. It deals a lot with trauma. Um, it deals a lot with forgiveness um, and self-worth, which a lot of these guys struggle with, um, myself included. Um, so during the, the red phase, they, they get their trauma counselor. They start to work the steps of the CTHM. Um, the guys that are high risk for substance abuse or that have substance abuse issues, they're required to get a sponsor in either Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous and start to work those steps as well. Um, you know, they go to church on Sundays here on campus. Um, we have a non-denominational service on Sundays. Um, you know, during red phase, we do start to reintegrate the families to some degree. So the families do come and visit on Sundays and, uh, you know, they, they get to see their veteran and, uh, you know, see the progress. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's really powerful for them to even the first 30 days you see a change in these guys demeanor and just in their spirit and everything else. Um, so after red phase, basically the requirements for red phase are they have to complete the CTHM, the combat trauma healing manual. They have to um, be 30% completed with a treatment plan with a counselor. Um, and then basically they go to a board, um, which is also very military-esque. Um, they go to a yellow board, which grants them access to go to yellow phase. So when they go to yellow phase, yellow phase is two months. It's two blocks of instruction, so a month each. And uh, that's when we give them their phones back. Um, they get their car keys back. They start to be able to go off site. Um, obviously, they have curfews and they have to check in and out. But we start to kind of reintegrate them slowly in, back into society. And, you know, we really encourage them to do team building exercises mm -hmm. together, um, go out and have meals together, really trying to build that network for when they do leave here that are just healthy people, you know, because for me personally coming into this program, the only people that I had around me that were left were people that didn't care about me, right? Because the people that cared about me, you were, you were standing in between me and what I wanted. So everybody else had to go, right? Mm. So the only people that I had around me at that point were people who viewed me as an opportunity or a target, right? Like that's, that's the two, that's really the two types of people that I had around me. And uh, so really the, the networking thing is key. We want these guys to, to build healthy relationships here. We want them to build healthy relationships in the community. And that's really what red, the yellow phase is all about. And then, so after yellow phase, that's when they actually graduate. When they complete yellow phase, they graduate the program. And uh, we actually have a supplemental phase as well. It's called green phase. So the guys that are still working on, you know, finding housing or finding employment or whatever that looks like, we allow them to stay 90 days in green phase where basically they don't have a program to follow anymore, but they still do have the curfews. Mm -hmm. They still have the check-ins with their mentor, um, you know, really just trying to give them that last stepping stone to getting back into society and being successful. Doc, there's a ton of hard work, man, happening with the head and the heart throughout this process. Tell me just a little bit more about, right, when when they're in those early phases, obviously there's a bit of a shock to the system, right? So if you're going to be taking away addictive substances, you're going to have to deal with a lot of physical ramifications of that. I, I would assume some guys could even lead towards things like alcohol withdrawal induced seizures. I've heard of things like that happening. 
right? So there's the physical component, but then there's just a lot mentally. Yeah. As well, huh? You know, the easiest part of the detox is getting uh, the individual detoxed from the drugs they're using. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's easy. The hardest part is really detoxing mentally and emotionally from the triggers that kind of enveloped that got you connected with that destructive lifestyle, all the people, places and things that you put into your life that represented your addiction. So one of the things that we are cutting edge on, uh, opiate addiction is really frontline right now. And most most opiate uh, detoxes are short term. And if, if you're going to be medically detoxing someone other than just keeping them on Suboxone, if you will, forever, mm -hmm. uh, the research shows that if you treat somebody on the short term, they're going to relapse. If you, if you uh, detox them from opiates in the short term, short term. It's not treatment. apples to apples, but it's why most diets fail. That's right. So I cut we out carbs offer, for a couple we months. We offer long-term treatment. So really what we have is in some measure a long-term detox where the addictive thoughts and behaviors and neural pathways are kind of extinguishing as we build up the healthier thoughts, behaviors, and neural pathways so that the individual has a certain amount of resistance to those triggers. That's why we will, a lot of research can be and will be done here in terms of long-term opiate detox. When you have without Suboxone, without an opiate replacement other than just good, healthy living and thinking, mm -hmm. um, that's the single best quality of, of the treatment program that we have. It's long-term and it's free. Doesn't cost anybody a penny. It doesn't cost the veteran a penny, but it costs a lot of money and we're dependent on grants, donations, and, and now we're getting dialed up to uh, basically tap into some of the uh, TRICARE West so that we can better serve our veterans with the funding that we get through uh, insurance, TriWest reimbursement. But it takes time. It takes time yeah. to extinguish self-destructive habits and build up healthy lifestyle and we what, offer that for free yeah what are some of those for those for folks looking on the outside in or even for folks that are family members of someone that might be struggling what uh, are there some common triggers are there some things that you know can can push that veteran you know into that space alex what's 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 happening? Yeah, there's you know there's I mean? definitely there's a there's a laundry list of ones that that guys really struggle with. I think the one that I see the most, um, which is usually like a tipping point for guys. I mean, obviously you have the ones that are very surface level, like the loud loud noises and mm -hmm. you know groups of people and traffic and trash on the road, all of that stuff that's you know kind of environmental. But really, for me, the thing that that I see the most is the lack of the spiritual component. So like no connection with any kind of higher power, yeah. you know, loss of faith in, in God, you know, there, that, that is huge. And the other piece that's really huge to it is relationships. So, you know, if, 
if a guy, you know, starts to his his marriage starts to fail and he's handed divorce papers, like that's a tipping point, you know, typically, um, you know, not being able to see their kids or, you know, um, flunking out of other programs. You know, we've got a lot of guys. Yeah. We've got a ton of guys that are here that have been to 10 plus VA programs, you know, and there's a reason why this works the way it does. And it's, it, it, to me, it comes down to the fact that we, we address all of these voids that these guys are feeling. We're not just taking away the substance and putting you in a program where it's like, mm -hmm. okay, here, we're going to show you how to live. Right. And that person showing you how to live is not speaking from experience. They're speaking from a book, right? Like these, everybody that works here in program, all of the mentors that are, the, that are my team have all been through the program. They've yes, all sat it. exactly it where these it. guys yeah. have it's sat. It's a shared experience. That is huge. Yeah. It, it is. You've exactly. got trust. I'm not You've telling got built-in you. trust. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not sure. telling you how to do something that I have not done myself. And yeah. for me, that was everything coming here. Because coming here, I didn't think that I, one, I didn't relate to these folks. And two, I didn't think that they were going to have anything. They were not going to be able to teach me anything that I did not already know. Right. Yeah. But yeah. sitting in these offices and hearing their stories was like, man, that's exactly what I have gone through. Like, like verbatim what I have been through. And there's, there's a lot of power just in these guys realizing that they're not alone and there's not it's not just them that's going through this. Like we're going through this together. And uh, there's so much, me, there's so much power and proximity, Alex. Absolutely. Right. I mean, you can, you've got to be able to put your hands on people, put your heart on them to be able to do that. Hey, why, why, why trash? Why would trash on the highway? Why would trash on the road? Why would that cause discomfort? Uh, so, I mean, a lot of the convoy operations that were done um, downrange were, you know, that was a, a, either a sign that they were trying to get you to avoid it for you to then hit an IED or it was an IED itself, right? So the any kind of obstructions on the road are are huge. For me, coming here, traffic was a huge trigger of mine. Like I don't I don't struggle with claustrophobia, but if I was in a deadlock traffic where I could not possibly move my vehicle That's if bad. I had to, yeah, I would almost have panic attacks. Yeah. So the traffic for guys, that's, you know, it's directly related to trauma that they experience downrange. A lot of these guys that are here, they are survivors of roadside bombs. They are survivors of, you know, uh, ambushes and attacks downrange. So driving is inherently a trigger for a lot of us. Doc, you know, it's just a constant reminder, I think, for all of us listening, for me sitting in my chair today, just think like, and I've said this before on the show, and we've been very blessed to talk to folks like Josh Lannon of Warrior's Heart, Colin Baden of Infinite Hero, uh, Chris O'Toole, who served in a lot of similar scenarios that Alex is talking about, my friend Evan Owens from Reboot Recovery. And I'm always reminded of the fact that you go to the grocery store and you're, you're behind somebody who's maybe struggling and you lose your temper. You're driving behind somebody who's going, you just don't know. We just don't know what that person is carrying. A absolutely. You know, everyone is really everyone is a potential time bomb. Yeah. Don't know what anyone has been through if, if you don't know them. And as Alex said, you know, one of the things that 
kills people is isolation. Mm. One of the things that cures people is community. That's right. And it's and when it's a shared community, people who have gone through the same thing that you've gone through, all of a sudden you identify. And you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict myself of 37 years. And one of the great things of the 12 step program has been one alcoholic turn in, 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 in its origin, one alcoholic helping another. That was the the genesis of the peer-to-peer movement and from that evolved vet to vet yeah you know um the spiritual enemy and i'll lean in on the spiritual side here i believe the spiritual enemy's main job is to try to get in there infiltrate your brain and try to get you isolated and i think it's one peter i'm gonna kill myself if i'm not right about that i think it's one peter where it says you know he basically walks around like a lion looking for something to devour resist him Right. You know, we, we are constantly engaged in spiritual warfare. Right. So when somebody comes to in starts treatment, basically they had the enemy has captured them. And what we're trying to do is free them from the enemy and ultimately as a Christ-centered program, mm-hmm. get them lean into the Lord. And the more you lean into the Lord, that is your shield of defense. That is your protection. And as you strengthen your relationship with the Lord, the the power of the enemy diminishes and decreases. But it's always there scanning its radar screen, waiting for an opening to take you down. Well, you know, you guys mentioned it before. I mean, there's so many examples of that. And if you follow along, even through Jesus's life, right? This, this is the son of man, right? God personified on earth. Devil takes him up on top of that mountain, look down over the city, right? All this can be yours, right? He's tested every step of the way, even till the final moments. Um, and we've got to take some strength in, in knowing that ultimately, Hey brother, th- this fight has been fought, right? That's right. Victor, Victor, he's on the other side. I need you to come with me. Yep. Yeah, that's what do you think, Doc? I know you're kind of mulling. I could see it in your face. Well, you know, and to me, it's, you know, every every day has its storms. Yeah. And and just as Jesus rebuked the storm in, in his boat filled with disciples, recovery is about rebuking the storms of the day that we mm. deal with. And those storms come in, you know, people, places and things. And the temptations are of, you know, passion, power and possessions. Those are the storms that, that are going to get us back into using. And as we start to develop the recovery reflex or the, the God reflex, where we lean into him as opposed to the relapse reflex, you know, that's what we are building up. Basically, the reflex to lean into the Lord through every storm that, that comes our way throughout the day. And there are going to be many. Alex, have you seen guys want to fight it? Man, I'm not doing oh, this God thing. I'm not doing this church thing. Absolutely. We're not, that's not me. 100%. Yeah. That, and we still get that. I mean, what, you know, and it, for me, it's common. Um, and, you know, from my own experience coming here, I, I knew who God was. Yeah. Right. I knew, I knew that he existed. I didn't doubt that he was there. I just, I just hated him. Right. Like you, you go through certain situations where you see, just the things that people will do to their own kids, people will do to their own countrymen that you're like, man, if you're, if you're up there, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you, how are you allowing this to happen? And for me, that's what, and I see that a lot in guys. And and so 
you know, our stories coming through this and how we reconnected, you know, my story might not be exactly like somebody else's, but it's close enough to where they're like, man, that's, you know, that's kind of the way I felt. And this is why I feel that way. Right. So it's really just kind of evoking that, that dialogue where we can talk about that and, you know, understand that like, yeah, there, there is bad stuff that happens on the, I mean, God allowed his, his own son to be crucified. You know, mm-hmm. that's, it's, it, it doesn't mean that he's not there. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have his hand on everything. And, uh, you know, the spiritual component, honestly, like it's one of those things where it's like, you're a no go or you're a go. And, it, and, but when guys get finished with this program, it's, I've seen it time and time again, they can, they can present like a completely different person. However, if they don't fix that, if we, and, and sometimes we can't, sometimes mm. it doesn't, it doesn't happen the first time around. We've got guys that have been through this program. You know, we've got one right now who's been here seven times, right? Um, it doesn't always happen, right? And we can't force it. I can show you all the rest of this stuff, but as far as you making that heart change in yourself, mm-hmm. that's one of the few things here that you really, really have to do on your own and come to your own terms with it. But the guys that don't, it, it's it's just a matter of time. And, you know, we pray that they, they end up coming back and that we can, you know, have another shot at it. But, you know, it, it really is. It's it's the component that is missing, you know, and I, I found, found it in my own life. I was throwing everything in the world at a hole in me that only God could fill. And you know what? That that hole was never filled. It didn't matter how many things you had. It didn't matter how many things you did. It was yeah. just always an emptiness. So it's huge. It sure is. It's nearly 1,500 veterans have graduated from the Camp Hope program. You know, you talked before about community camaraderie. I want to talk a little bit about what my friends that are at F3 locally are doing to be helpful there. And you guys have listened to the show long enough, you know, just how much of an impact F3 has had on my life. In fact, uh, our most recent episode is with two men who met behind bars, right? One was uh, a convicted felon. Uh, who was incarcerated, the other, uh, an entrepreneur who was teaching classes, they formed a brotherhood, and they are now giving it away and and helping more men through that. And what we've instilled in an incredible organization through Fitness Fellowship and Faith to invigorate male community leadership has blossomed into a lot of community, right? And a lot of camaraderie and places for guys to go. So you guys might tell me a little bit about how my F3 buddies are getting involved down there in Houston and helping out a little bit. Yeah. Um, they show up Saturday morning and they basically get the message out and people, not everyone here, but, you know, there are growing numbers of individuals who get connected with uh, the, the, the F3 crew, um, you know, prior to my coming to, to Camp Hope and, F, and being exposed to F3, I was a, a CrossFitter and I understood mm-hmm. that, um, you know, when you work, the, the team, the people that work out together, that sweat together, stay together. And there's a, a ton of connectedness that takes place through a workout. When you're working out and sweating like it with as a team mm-hmm. with your, your brothers, it, it's bonding. And uh, when it's drilled down into ultimately faith and your connection to the Lord, it, it has an even deeper connection. So F3 has been great and it will grow here more and more. Uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, being more consistent. I'm going back and forth from California, so I'm not always here on Saturdays, but it is definitely 
uh, on my schedule. They give you an F3 nickname, Doc? Southpaw. Southpaw. And I'll tell you, okay. I'll, I'll tell you why Southpaw, because when I was uh, in the Navy, I used to run all the time with um, a top Marine Corps, E9 Marine, and uh, and <clears throat> he had his ears eardrum blown out right. And so I always had a run on his left. We ran every day together. So I'd always had a run on his left. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I was running with some one of the guys. Um, uh, I think the um, the bishop. Uh, and I and he said, why do you have to run on the, your left uh, on my left? And uh, so from that <laughs> spawned South Pole. Yeah, that's it. That's a much more uh, in-depth and excellent story than F3 Hello Kitty on this side of the microphone. So you got a good one, sir. That's good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well learned. Guys, I'm just grateful for you. What else What else about the program? What else about the work you're doing do you want to make sure folks understand, know, or just or just take with them before we wrap it up today? Um, for, for me, you know, this is, we always are just looking for a way to get the message out. Um, obviously we're not, you know, we're not trying to promote in a sense of, you know, we, we want notoriety or anything else, but our goal is like, I didn't know about this place. Like I'm from Florida. I had never heard of this place. I didn't know anything about Camp Hope. Um, you know, I'd been to the VA, but we all know how that works. Um, so for me, the only way that I found out about Camp Hope was because my squad leader from Afghanistan um, actually came to Camp Hope. Hmm. And if it hadn't been him, find, you know, being from Houston and finding out that this place existed, I would not know. Right. So, um, you know, for me, the biggest thing is, is like if you have a veteran that's struggling and, you know, you, you need you don't know what to do, like reach out, like get us in contact with them. Let us try to do something, you know, because for us, the, the ultimate goal is to bring the 22 a day to zero. Right. That's and right. we know that that's, it's going to be tough. Right. But it starts with every day, somebody just passing a card or, you know, spreading a number that they can call. I mean, we've got a crisis hotline that is manned 24 hours a day by a combat veteran. So, you know, you're not calling a VA psychiatrist. You're not talking to just somebody that's manning, you know, a hotline. You're talking to a combat veteran who is employed with the foundation who has been through the program. So it's not, it's it's a whole different feel calling that that crisis line. So for me, the, the biggest thing to put out is just, you know, if you've got a veteran struggling, you know, call 1-877-717-PTSD. And that's, you know, it's manned 24 hours a day by a combat veteran. We're going to put uh, that phone number and all other details in the show notes on our show page. That phone number again, Combat Trauma Helpline, 877-717-PTSD. Their website is ptsdusa.org. That's the PTSD Foundation of America. And right there on the homepage is that link for Camp Hope, right? There's ways to get help. There's ways for you guys to give help. So obviously encourage you to go out there and pick up their six and throw a little bit into the coffers to help them do the incredible work that they do. Uh, And it takes resources, guys. And so encourage you to go to ptsdusa.org, learn more about Camp Hope, donate. And if you need help, if you're listening and you need help, go get help. Or if you're listening and you say, you know what? I think my cousin can use some help. 
Yeah. Just, just go ask, just, Hey, Absolutely. Hey man, notice yeah. I'm not trying to get in your way. I'm not trying to get in your business, but if you need some help, these guys are here to help you. And, right that's, and that's totally true too. I mean, we get mothers, we get uncles, we get, you know, family members of veterans who call the combat trauma line, you know, the comp, they call the crisis line, give us their number. You know, you don't, we won't even tell them that you're the one that reached out to us. Mm, we will call that veteran. Yeah. We will call that veteran and we'll see where they're at and, and see if we can, you know, get them the help that they need. Incredible. Guys, I'm grateful for you. So thankful for the time. And we obviously wish you nothing but the best. If there's anything else we can do to help continue to spread the word, get it out there, just let us know. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I'm Brian Jodas. That's been this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast.